This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk and financial solutions. Bundy's called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Hi, I'm Chris Judd and you're watching Talkie Book and today we're joined by Brad King from Armitage Private. Brad, very first guest for 2023. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And what stock did you want to get into today? Yeah, we're going to go straight into commodities because... We've, we've come out of a, I suppose, a macro year of a bit of, um, I suppose, a bit of change in where the commodity guard has gone from, from your bulks to more your lithiums, your different types of metals. And I think people are starting to, pardon the pun, dig a little deeper into some, some different, um, different opportunities. So going to look at Alimentos today. Now, full disclosure, I'm on the Elementos register in a, a small way alongside you. So maybe cool. give us the, the helicopter view of, of Elementos for those that haven't heard of it. Yeah, basically Elementos, I think, Tin's probably much maligned or much misunderstood in terms of what it's actually used for, but think of tin as mostly in, in your solder. So when you look at your semiconductor markets, um, that's sort of where we're, we're looking for. So the number of sensors on an electric vehicle car, obviously your computers, your personal devices, and even things like your toaster or, or whatever have these type of chips that provide some sort of, I suppose, transmission network of, of, um, of data. So really looking forward to seeing that supply grow over time. Having said that, we got a major disruption through COVID and, and some oversupply and shortages on that semiconductor network, but we expect that to normalise over time. One of the things I like about uh, TIN is that it's really just not spoken about that much. We know mm -hmm. that electrification of everything is such an enormous macro theme at the minute, and people are always talking about you know copper, nickel, cobalt, lithium, mm -hmm. graphite. Rarely do you hear tin mentioned in the, the same sentence, yet as you went through there, it's sort of the, it's been described as a glue, if you like, yep. for uh, the electrification of all the things that, that we need. I think because it's the usage of it is so small yeah. that you don't think of it. So like when you're talking about seven times a copper input into an electric car versus an internal combustion engine, you think of that as a great volume, whereas tin might be, you know, a cent here, another cent, another cent, another cent. But over billions of applications, obviously that adds up. And so give us a bit of an overview of the, of the tin market currently. Yeah, so very opaque in terms of where it sort of trades and how it trades. But, yeah, I mean, 24% is controlled by China. Um, and then, yeah, you have to go into your ESG non-friendlies for, for perhaps some of the others. So your Democratic Republics of Congo, Russia, um, even Indonesia to a lesser extent. And, and they've talked about uh, doing export bans at some point in time in 2024 as well. So you really have these volatile markets uh, where the traditional home of Malaysia, they've wound down all their tins, supplies effectively. Uh, but the new stocks where, where you have to dig uh, are in markets that, that probably aren't going to tick too many ESG boxes. And how low are the stockpiles at their LME and SHFE currently? Yeah, they've started to build it back up a little bit, but you just see how quickly that can change. Like you were sort of looking for a three month supply and then you sort of almost went negative when the price of tin went up to sort of 51,000 um, last year and then it sort of reverted as, as I suppose that semiconductor oversupply uh, sort of restored itself while that, those COVID lack of, um, I suppose, shipping channels had, had slowed down um, and then it sort of fell to that sort of 17,000 bottom. But yeah, we, we're still looking at within just months of, of supply at, at the tops. Uh, we don't think it can, it can grow higher than that. So I think tin for, a, I suppose, a commodity that's used in such a small application is going to be very volatile in the way, 
the way it sort of trades. Um, and China's been a net export, sorry, net importer of tin as well. So that really um, moves the market if they decide to, to be aggressive. And the forecasts that sort of get put out there for demand to what demand to grow by a bit over three percent and, and supply to be growing a bit over one percent. Are they yep. the sort of numbers that, that you're seeing? Yeah, definitely. I, I think they're fairly conservative. I, I personally think if you get a more, I suppose, a, a rollout that's more fast in terms of the electronic vehicles, then you might see that sort of accelerate a little bit higher into the mid-single digits. But yeah, that one percent supply increase that's that's not really going to not going to change much. Um, and even if you bring on an Orpeza or um, that's the mine for Alimentos or any other projects, you're still really not making a dent as, as you're only really chewing into the supply that's coming off. And you mentioned the potential for Indonesian uh, export restrictions. We also yep. had the San Rafael mine in Peru close down, which I think is sort of 12% of, yep. of, of the market. Yep. Just how significant is that? And, and maybe touch on, you know, maybe Myanmar, I think, is the fourth biggest exporter as well. There's sort of it's a hotbed everywhere of issues with, with the countries that seem to be producing uh, the most amount of tin. Yeah, I think a lot of people would like to get more LME or Shanghai Futures inventory, but it's just difficult to get. Um, and yeah, obviously with Peru going down, and we've seen that with the copper markets as well with South America, um, you do see that sort of disruption. But it's very difficult to sort of back solve that for tin. So I think what's going to happen is you're just going to see more activity in the futures market trying to shore up supply, but that's going to give you more volatility in the underlying commodity price. And maybe give us the, um, the top-down view of the Oropisa project, Elementos's main project uh, in Spain. Yeah, so Spain has typically been a, a tricky market in Europe for, for I suppose, developing mining um, mining provinces, but Andalusian province is, is quite renowned and has a good history and track record of getting these approved. I think the fact that the mine has been considered of state significance, that really gives it an acceleration through the appeals process and through the environmental impact statements that perhaps another mine wouldn't wouldn't receive. So that sort of accelerated their time frame, but yeah, it's it, it looks like a fairly simple mine. We're, we're not talking billions or hundreds of millions of capex sort of sub 100 million market cap, oh, sorry, market uh, ex exploration and development of the mine market capex. So we really think that's affordable and the fact that they've sort of had six EPC contractors look at, at bidding into the process means that it's a fairly cost competitive project. Being given that sort of uh, project of state significance title, if you look at the other mining companies that have received that, you know, I think Rio Tinto's on the list, it's mm -hmm. not sort of other $50 million market cap companies, is it? it it's generally companies that are far more significant in scale than, than Elementos. Yeah, sure. And I, I think they just the regions just sort of sees that as an opportunity to really grow, a, I suppose, a foothold in a, or a dominant position in a metal that perhaps they, they would never have probably dreamed of being in, in that regard because they don't really control any of the world's other commodities. So for them to have a decent control of the tin market, I think, would be a positive for, for Spain. And DFS is due, we think, sort of the middle of 2023 calendar year. Is that sort of feel realistic at your end? Yeah, it looks like that. But we'll probably see some slippage to the final approval towards the end of the year and maybe into early 24. But confident that it gets there. And a couple of months here or there is not really in our minds of anything that changes the valuation perspective. Um, it may impact the, the amount of cash needed or for a short term period. But yeah, still, still positive that because it's on that fast track, it gets there. Uh, it did get interrupted by some Spanish elections late last year, so that did slow it down a little bit, but uh, we think the momentum's there to, to sort of get it done. 
And you mentioned it looks sort of relatively simple in terms of the, the scale of the project. Maybe touch on I mean, ELT's market cap, but the numbers that, that got presented in the, the optimization study just give people a feel of, of what the potential is there for, for Oropisa. Yeah, so they're trying to basically create it from an inferred resource and upgrade that resource. So if we look at sort of where we think the mine can get to, which is sort of a 14 year odd mine life, then if you sort of use 40,000 a tonne, you're sort of looking at a say a $600 million project and, and based on, from a, that's from a net, net present value uh, valuation. So given the market cap's only 60, that's, that gives you some significant upside. And But we, our view, and I think that's our view, sort of consistent with the International Tin Association, that you will see some improvement in that sort of, I suppose, floor of the tin price, um, that the upside could be far more significant. And I think the capex numbers in that study are throwing around sort of mid 80 million mark and yep. sort of a one and a half year build once, once final approvals given, which when you're 50 mil market cap, those sort of numbers feel like they can actually be done. I always yep. get nervous when you see capex spend of, you know, 600 million bucks on a, a $50 million market cap company. Is that sort of how you read it as well? Yeah, so 86 is sort of what they're looking for. Um, but again, because they've got six people bidding for it, we're, we're confident that that's going to be fairly tight. So it might be within a few, maybe five or ten percent either way. But yeah, exactly. You're not talking um, major, major capex requirements. And so you've got potential approvals, offtake, financing could all happen sort of late 23, early 24 sort of periods. Yep. So you've got a, a fair few potential re-rates in the next, you know, call it 12 to 18 months. Mm -hmm. Four million bucks of cash, so clearly they're going to be raising pretty soon. Do you think the market needs to see that before they'll start at least correlating ELT with the tin price? Because at the minute tin's been ripping and it's strengthened, but you wouldn't say the correlation's been, been overly strong. Yeah, I think definitely capital's been an overhang on why it hasn't um, had that correlation with it on the upside. But, you know, they might do something that gives them the ability to raise into. So they've got some pretty good news coming out, I suppose, from those infill drilling results. Um, and then also potential offtake partners or potential debt financing partners. So um, if they can, I suppose, use a raise into a deal like that or a cornerstone investor or someone like that that gives it a bit more strategic nature about it, I think that's what they'll be looking to do. And, and it might surprise people that they, if they don't get in, they might actually be out, miss out on, on, on the raise. And the Cleveland Tin Project in, in Tasmania, obviously much smaller than Oropisa and less of a focus. Yep. Uh, is that just a bit of a side project at the minute or do you think that's something where they'll, they'll, they'll punch significant capital in in the, in the future? There's definitely value there, but yeah, certainly not front in mind for the next probably 18 months. Um, but yeah, look, if they raise a significant amount of money, I'm sure they'll keep the geos going, they'll keep doing some drill holes. Um, there's quite a lot of water in it, so they needed to water it. So they would need to make a fundamental decision on tin and how much tungsten is potentially below that to whether that getting that water out is, is worth it. And MLX, the, the more significant tin operator on the ASX, yep. um, have a shared board member with, with ELT. Yep. Could you see a world where, where those two companies potentially created a tie-up and creating a, a more significant company, obviously ex expanding the resource for MLX and, and giving some more liquidity to, to ELT shareholders? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the best outcome would be they just, you, work together and trying to promote the tin industry in Australia. But yeah, there's definitely a, a spot where they could go, hey, if we can look at these different projects around the world and, and start to develop them, we can create a little little tin monopoly in Australia. <laughs> that, that'd be great. But um, yeah, look, I 
can't change the minds of the boardroom, but yeah, that'd be nice to see a bit more, a bigger player, better balance sheet, I suppose more of the ability to raise debt and, and use capital, but it's up to them. And before I let you go, maybe tell us a little bit about Armitage Private and, and where people can find some more info about how you guys invest. Yeah, sure. So Armitage has been around since 1995. Um, we focus on individually managed accounts and self-managed super funds mostly. We have a couple of retail funds as well, but predominantly Oz Equities based. Um, and yeah, obviously look at some small caps and some micro caps as well as blending that with a large portfolio. But yeah, jump on our website www.armitage.com.au and have a look. Awesome, mate. Thanks very much for, uh, for starting 2.23 off in, uh, with a bang. Great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, mate. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.